Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Maura Cheeks. Maura has worked as a journalist and columnist writing for the New York Times, The Atlantic and the Harvard Business Review and now has a novel out. It's called Acts of Forgiveness. You can hear all about her technique of free writing, how that helps her get into the story. Also, whether growing up with successful parents means you've got a more dedicated, driven spirit, I wonder. And find out how much she knew about the story before sitting down to write. Writers have different takes on this. I found it helpful to do less before writing my first draft. So I had that idea. I had questions that I wanted to answer. And then I just started writing. I wrote like six drafts of my book before before I sold it. So it's probably not the most um, time efficient way to do it. But for me, it took a lot of uh, my first draft, I think, was 100,000 words. So for me, I, I was like, I know I can do it. Like now that I have 100,000 words, I know I can do it. There is more on the way with more cheeks in this week's writer's routine. Welcome along to Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day. We see what they do, where they are, how they plan their life around giving them the best chance of getting words down on the page. Uh, This week, we are sponsored by the true crime podcast, Who is the Cheesewire Killer? It's new true crime. It puts you right in the heart of a live investigation. And I think it's perfect for you. Because if you love crime writing and storytelling in particular, which I think that you do, and if you love podcasts, which, well, I would imagine you do, this brings the two together in a fantastic way. Who is the Cheese Wire Killer is all about a 1983 murder. It's now regarded as one of Scotland's most gruesome unsolved cases. And across five episodes through a mixture of documentary and drama, this series goes into the very centre of a live investigation because the killer is still on the run. And in 2023, the police have announced the biggest step forward in this case for the past 40 years. You can be part of it with investigations and interviews with the senior investigating officer, forensic scientists, psychologists, as well as family members and friends of the victim. It's a classic who's done it case that has baffled the police for 40 years. It's such a twist on true crime podcasts because it's still going on and you are there right in the centre finding out what's happening as everyone else does you can find the series now try and uncover the whole lot download it wherever you get your shows search for who is the cheese wire killer and try and solve one of the most famous murders ever this week on the show we're chatting to Maura Cheeks Maura has written pieces and columns all over the place and has got a new novel out it's called Acts of Forgiveness 
there's a touch of speculative fiction in there. It takes place at a time when the US government finally approves reparation payments for black Americans. Willie Revel gives up her career as a journalist in New York City to help her family's struggling company in uh, Philadelphia, Philly. Uh, And when the president prepares to pass a bill announcing that black families can claim reparations if they can prove their descendants of slaves, Willie delves into her family's history and learns much more than she ever expected. We chat about the importance of the subject, uh, how she had the idea, and then the passion to write a full novel around it. Also hear how writing columns and working as a journalist changes what you do as an author. You can hear about her notebooks and her method of free writing, and also what she does when the words aren't coming. There's a lot going on I really think you'll enjoy and can take a lot away from this week's episode, so let's get into it uh, with more Cheeks, and we dive into it, as we always do, talking about what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I see my water bottle, my coffee. I have books all around me on the floor because I don't have enough bookshelves that can fit in the space. And I see out of my window, there's a garage and a house across the street. I can usually see my neighbors moving about in their apartments. It's New York. So, you know, close quarters around here. How much of the space around you is, uh, I guess, designed to help you write? Or, and how much of it is just, this is the only space I got, better work with it? <laughs> well, I work out of the bedroom. So... <laughs> There, you know, there's a, there's part of the room is dedicated to sleeping a large part, but, um, it's pretty much just the space that we have in the apartment, but I have a lot of books around me just, um, on purpose and also accidentally, I guess, because I have a book buying problem. And so we have much more books than actually space to keep them, um, so probably I could say it's accidentally designed to help me write. Uh, so lots of books around you. Is, is What is there that like lets you know what you're there to do? I mean, plot points on the wall, perhaps, post-it notes, a, a whiteboard, some form of inspiration for novel writing. Yeah, you know, I went through a phase of having post-its on the wall. Um, and I find that... When I write, it never goes quite as planned. And so the post-its were more to guide me along different, um, you know, themes that I wanted to explore as well as the progression of the novel. Um, But at a certain point, they sort of become decoration because the writing takes me where it will take me and you're writing where you can in in your bedroom right now how how bothered are you by where you write Uh, are you able to like have your laptop will travel right on the subway right on planes right on trains (laughs) um i'm not quite that far i once heard chanda rhyme say as long as she has a pair of red headphones she can write but i would say as long as i have um a notebook I can write 
and my laptop, but it doesn't necessarily matter where. I tend to like to write alone. So I don't really like to write if there's other people in the room. My dog, my dog doesn't count. But um, I do a lot of sort of like pacing and talking to myself. So I tend to like to find a space where I can write by myself. And if huge commercial success came your way, uh, have you any dreams of like the idyllic writing room, what would you have? Oh, yeah. A room with without any windows, lots of books, and a small couch to take a nap on. No windows? And a, and a desk. No windows. I prefer to write without windows, actually. Oh, that seems a bit... Um, <laughs> what's the word? Like, uh, in kept, like closed in of you? Yeah, I think... You know, my partner and I were joking. I said I could just write in the closet. Um, We would have nowhere to put our clothes. But I, yeah, I like sort of smaller spaces where I can focus and sort of go inward. I find if there's a window, sometimes I get distracted or I stare out of it too long and I'm imagining the scene I'm writing, which is good. But um, I, I prefer I prefer not to have windows when I'm sort of head down and actually writing out what I've planned or plotted. Well, where are you right now? Uh, how, how, yeah, there, there is a window. <laughs> and what, um, like, what do you do? Uh, as in, what tricks have you learned to to help you remain distraction free and, and tunnel yourself in because I'm someone that can get distracted easily and you you kind of need to learn certain things to do that just lets you focus on the task at hand I, I wonder if, if there is any you had when you when you find yourself looking out across Brooklyn <laughs> I put the blind down a lot even though it, my dog is not a fan of that approach but I will put the blinds down you know I'll leave my phone out of the room um certain things, those two things sort of signal to me, okay, it's time to focus. Um, And then I sort of go in my hole. But um, yeah, I think those are those are the two main sort of techniques I've used. And perhaps the most important place that you write on, this is where we get quite nerdy. Maura, uh, we write. Uh, we, we're into like technology. So, uh, like, what are you writing on? Is there a software that you're fond of? And what font, what typeface do you use? Oh, that's a good one. I write in Google Docs mostly until I am ready to send it out to my agent or editor. Um, but mostly, I write in Google Docs. Acts of forgiveness. I wrote pretty much exclusively in Google Docs and then used a lot of notebooks to uh, plan and plot. Um, my second book, I've, I've been dabbling with Scrivener and how to make the best use of it, but mostly uh, it's, it's notebooks and Google Docs. Uh, the, the, the Google Docs thing has never settled well with me, I've got to say. <laughs> what do you use? Uh, well, I, I use Scrivener. Um, they sponsored the podcast like a few years ago uh, and just generic word things. But like the idea that I'm relying on the cloud, uh, does that not unnerve you at all? No, it makes me more nervous to have a word document that is only on my computer because I have spilled coffee on my computer before and gone into a panic. And then I realized I have it in Google Docs. So it's not as uh, nerve inducing, but yeah. <laughs> but but if you're like me 
you, you still have fail safe options, right? So tell me this. When you upload it to the Google Doc, do you also email a copy of it to yourself and like five other accounts? <laughs> I will periodically download it and email it to myself throughout the process. Yes. I was very nervous about this when I was working on, um, I think it was my first round of edits for Acts of Forgiveness, where I was just constantly <laughs> saving it and emailing it to myself. Um so that is my that is my technique. And what about typeface? Mm-hmm. Primarily, it's Times New Roman. Um, yeah, it's kind of a boring response, but mostly Times New Roman. Um, and I double space when I'm writing. It might sound like a like a trite question sometimes when I ask that. I only do it because an author once mentioned to me that they edit in a different font than they write in because it breathes new life. It, it helps them see them in, it helps them see the story almost through different eyes, if you follow. That's an interesting technique. I might have to try that, actually. Yeah, I mean, at some point, it gets your eyes sort of glaze over. So I do a lot of printing it out and highlighting, you know, hard copies and then like transcribing those notes back in. I try to get one or two hours of writing in in the morning. So wake up at 5 or 5.30, brew some coffee immediately, and sit down to write. Um, Usually I have one or two books around me as reference points. So I will do my best to have those books around me and open up my computer without looking at my email, without looking at my phone and try to get one or two hours done. That doesn't always mean, you know, writing like 2000 words. It could mean um, reviewing something I wrote the day before sort of uh, doing a free writing exercise of a scene that I'm in. Um, But I find writing that early kind of helps me, cut down the noise and sort of cut down my inner critic because I'm too tired to sort of constantly edit myself. So I try and get something like that done early in the morning. Um, And then I will walk my dog. (laughs) I've mentioned my dog about three times already. Um, (laughs) I will um, come back in and at that point sort of do some emailing and some light tasks. And then I'll try and sit down and work through whatever point of the book I'm in at that time for about two hours. I, I kind of structure my day in like two hour increments. And that doesn't mean I'm sitting at my desk the whole two hours. I typically will, you know, have a thought and then I'll get up and go to the kitchen and I'll probably snack on some like apricots or whatever's left over from dinner the night before. Um, and I'll have my notebook and sort of like be thinking and jotting down words or sentences. Um, and so then I will, you know, come back to my computer and work through, um, whatever scene I'm in. Now for acts of forgiveness, I took, I'm sort of giving you my routine as I currently do it, but for acts of forgiveness, it was different because I, Right now, I have the privilege of focusing on writing much more than I did for my first book. So I had a full-time job when I was writing Acts of Forgiveness. Um, And that was a different process because I made myself write a thousand words at a time, um, no matter what, because I was so scared of never finishing a book. So I 
made it a point to write a thousand words every day for that book. So whenever I could get it in. So sometimes I would write like 300 in the morning, um, you know, and break it up throughout the day. But I had a word count goal that I was trying to meet. And now I, now for the second book that I started working on, I try and I, it's much more, um, explorative and that's probably just the nature too of, it's a different topic. And, um, you know, I'm still getting to know the characters, but for my process now, it's much more um, working through sort of scene by scene and working in like chunks of two or three hours at a time. And how many words would you estimate you could get done in a day now? Oh, probably still about a thousand. A thousand is sort of like my max. And I think from somebody coming from a more sort of corporate background, it's hard to to sort of wrap your head around this idea that you can't be as productive as necessarily you might want to be. I think productivity looks different for me now. So I'm not as so concerned with, did I write 2000 words today? Or did I write how many pages did I do? And it's more of being okay and getting comfortable with taking the time to know the characters and um, research what I need to and having that be okay and having that count as productivity. Are you worried there might be a, be a reckoning as it gets close to hand in day and you've, you've been a bit more uh, casual is the wrong word, but as you say, exploratory, right? You're, you're, you, you've not got these hard and fast rules, right? I need to get a thousand words done a day. And now as you get closer to hand in might the fact you've been a bit looser, uh, c- come back to, to, to kind of bite you really? Well, I don't have a firm deadline, which can be good and bad, but I think I'm, I'm fueled a lot by anxiety of never finishing projects. So I don't, I'm not, I'm perhaps making it seem I'm looser than I am, but I, you know, I think, I think there's always sort of an end goal in mind and, um, different checkpoints that are arranged in my mind throughout, uh, the work day and throughout a certain project if that makes sense uh, the 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 move to being able to write full time and and having the day as your own how 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 was that transition how did it go i mean this this decision to not be so hard and fast with forcing a thousand words a day no matter what happens it was that always the case in in this kind of second novel? Is it something that you grew to? How, how was that transition? Because I know that some authors, being given the luxury of writing full time, could find it very hard. I did find it very hard. I still do. Um, and I, I, you know, I still have like loose word counts goals just to um, keep me on track. But I think. Yeah, it's hard. I am very fortunate to have the time to write. And I think I, I don't take that for granted. But um, it comes with a lot of um, freedom. So you have to sort of create your own 
boundaries and deadlines and that kind of thing. And I think routine, since this is called writer's routine, I think routine helps a lot. I think, you know, having certain signals around you that signal, you know, that tell you, okay, I'm going to write right now. And okay, this is time to focus. I think that that helps a lot. Um, And so I've gotten better about, you know, when my phone is out of the room, the blinds are down, I am that's time to work and time to focus and what that work is. I think defining that is helpful. So like, what are the books that you're researching? What are you, what are the different things you need to accomplish throughout your day in order to, um, you know, move the project forward. But yeah, it was, it was really hard. Um, that transition. And you're talking about, almost like setting perimeters gatekeeping parts of your day how how does how does that work as you move towards the evening because you this is what you do now for the whole day it must be quite all-consuming when you're done when it's five or six p.m whatever it is how good are you at putting the story aside and and getting on with your regular life well i mean the story is never totally aside but i think um I'm pretty good at it. I mean, I read a lot at night. And so I think the reading always when you're working on something, things are coming out, things are coming up for you, or at least for me, things are coming up while I'm reading. And so, you know, in the night, if I'm not technically quote unquote working, my brain is still sort of, um, taking in whatever information is in my surroundings and sort of, thinking about how that applies to the characters applies to uh, the story I'm telling. Because this stage of writing for you is quite exploratory. What are you happy with having done when, when it is nighttime, what what allows you to close the laptop and say, okay, that was a good day. (laughs) Um, I think finding something unexpected. I think for me, what I love about writing is you can never completely plan out what you're going to say. And so for me, I think even if I just have one moment of like, oh, wow, I don't know where that came from. Um, that for me is, is a satisfying day of, um, you know, just finding something unexpected in your writing. And uh, how, how prescribed is, is, is what you're doing every day? Uh, I know that there, that there might not be a hard and fast plan anymore, but when you're, when you're sat there, uh, how, how much do you know about what you're going to get done, hopefully? Um, yeah, I think it varies. I, I, I try to review what I did that day before I close my laptop so that I have a roadmap for what I'm working on the next day. So it is a little bit of planning out what I'm going to work on before I end the day. Um, and that also helps with sort of perimeters and routine and, and just knowing, you know, it's, it's sort of the same thing I, I did in, in my old jobs, which was like, you kind of tend to know what you're going to do the next day. And so planning, planning um, the writing routine in that sort of way helps. And when the words aren't coming to you, what, what have you learned that, that helps them a little bit? Is, is there any small thing that you do that, again, you were talking about um, almost like cues earlier, Ron, right? This is when I'm writing. I didn't know if there was anything that you'd learn that kicks that back into gear. 
I usually, you know, I go for a run or I go for a walk. I try not to force it too much. I think I read something that um, Tony Morrison said once in like the the book Black Women Writers at Work, which is a great book, by the way, if you haven't read it. But, um, you know, she was like, if you... I, I'm going to butcher what she said, but it, it, like if, if you have writer's block, there is probably a reason for it. Um, so I think, you know, I, I tend to try and step away or I turn to research and I tend to keep a list of things that I want to research or look up. And so I will pivot and, and look at that list. Um, if really the words aren't coming. Now, your dad is, 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 is Morris Cheeks, right? He is. So, um, who, who, is an, who was an NBA player and is... I, I'm, I'm British, right? So you have to slightly forgive me. He was an NBA player and is now an NBA coach? Yep. And I know it might be slightly tedious to be kind of doing your own thing and always be asked about your dad. But <laughs> I, um, I'm only doing this because th- this has never really cropped up and, I, and I'm curious... Um, like like someone who is done doing something so creative as you are uh coming from a family where the dad was was a was a famous successful sports person so i'm just wondering about the links between the two when you were growing up did did that kind of that that drive and you've mentioned routine a few times that's something that heavily comes through with sport did, did, was that was that pressed to you was that emphasized that this is this is the way to have a dream of what you want to do and, and get it done. It requires not just the idea, but also the work, right? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think what I learned from it was that you can achieve what you want to achieve, that, that it it's, isn't out of the realm of possibility. I think that's the greatest thing that it did for me was to know that if you want to achieve something, you can. And so I think just having that really drove me. Um, and so it's, I think it inspired me to, to, to create roadmaps for where I want it to go, because I think it's, you know, it's with writing, it's, it's really hard to know if you're ever going to be successful. And I think I went through a phase of reading a lot of, um, writers' biographies and trying to understand sort of how they did what they did. And so what I took from that was like, just keep, just keep trying and keep, keep writing. Um, and I sort of like methodically was like, okay, where do I need to get published in order for an agent to notice me? And so I, you know, was always writing on the side, but also always thinking about how do I make this a career? Like what are the um, bylines that I need in order to be taken seriously and to try and get published? So I think what it did for me was just letting me know that, you know, it's, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but like anything is possible. You just have to, to, work really hard at it, but also have a sort of roadmap for how you're going to get there. Well, like the visible path to attainable success, I, th- I think is much more there in sport, isn't it? Sp- uh, particularly, I, th- I feel like in a in American sports, because everything's so much more collegiate. So if you do well at high school, then you get to go to a college and scouts will hopefully see you at college and you can, you can visibly see how you work through the ranks. Whereas for something like getting published, well, I'm... Uh, 
you need to kind of be, you need to have sent your manuscript to the publisher on the right day when they're feeling good. <laughs> There's a lot of luck involved. Yeah. And I, uh, what did you turn to? Just because listening will be a lot of aspiring writers um, who were in the position that perhaps you were a couple of years ago. Like, what, what did you turn to to help point you in the direction where you could see it getting done? Yeah. Um, I read a lot of, or I read, I still do, but I read a lot of author's notes and I looked in their acknowledgement section and I looked for their agents who they were thanking. And I made a giant spread spread spreadsheet, a spreadsheet of, um, agents who were working on books that were sort of similar to the themes that I was writing about. And yeah, like I said, I, I, you know, I would look at sort of the author's biography on the back of their book and looked at where they were published. And then I would think about, okay, how can I get published in those places? So I sort of looked at, you know, how they got to where they got to. Now I don't have an MFA. And so, um, I was also very conscious of the fact that a lot of writers have a very traditional path and I don't have that path. Um, so I focused on writing about things that I cared about, but also trying to get those things published in places where agents might notice them. Or when I sent out my manuscript or, um, when I pitched agents, I wanted my little blurb about myself to be taken seriously. And so I tried to figure out, you know, where can I publish my pieces that are going to, that's going to give me the credibility I need to at least get them to open my email and, um, read a little bit of what I've written. You mentioned those precious first hours in the morning when you're still quite tired and trying to sift through it there. And you mentioned free writing exercises, just expand on what, on what they are and, and how, how that, draws you into your character for a day of plotting? Yeah. I mean, it's usually within the context of, of the story. So it's, it's, um, when I say free writing in that context, I mean, free writing within, you know, that scene that I'm in or that character's, um, inner thought bubble. So instead of trying to edit myself and, you know, make the sentences perfect, if a character is, I don't know, standing on a hillside, I might just write for 20 or 30 minutes of, you know, scenery of what they see of what they um, smell. Um, and so I probably will not keep all of that. And I know that but early in the morning, I am less concerned about what that sounds like and, and what the sentences are and more just getting out um you know, the words. And so I find a lot of, I find that really helpful because sometimes I go back and even if I only find like three words that are, um, that I can use in the future, you know, then it's three words that I might not have come up with otherwise. (laughs) Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Yuffie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? 
Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty, and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer? Listen to the full series now wherever you get your podcasts. Who is the Cheese Wire Killer is sponsoring the podcast this week. You can listen to the whole thing right now and be part of this investigation. Search Who is the Cheese Wire Killer wherever you get your shows. And you can sponsor the podcast in the future if you'd like. If you'd like me to talk about what you've done, what you've worked on, something that you've put a lot of time into and maybe isn't getting the talk about that I think it deserves, uh, well, I will do that for you. Become a backer on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. And it doesn't take a lot, just a little bit. It helps us carry on bringing you these shows for just a few dollars a month. It helps me chat to some of the best and biggest authors around so you can get some tips and help for your writing day. For that, you get bonus episodes. There is merch. There is videos on there. There's behind the scenes stuff. And there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And I know that times are tight. So whatever you can give, wherever you can throw our way really does mean a lot. I fully appreciate everyone uh, that has got involved on our patreon page to become a backer to help the show and support just get involved at patreon.com forward slash writers routine let's get back to her then chatting to Maura cheeks about her debut novel acts of forgiveness it tells the story of willie revel who is trying to save her family's future while looking into its past we talk about what she researched before writing her first draft will show where she travelled to find out more and we pick things up talking about her work as a journalist writing for the New York Times for the Atlantic for many many others how did all that help her tell a story over the long course of a novel well I think it helped me write in an active voice a little bit um, and I think it helped me tighten my sentences if that makes sense. Um, I think in what can be hard in novels is sort of the, the winding path of plotting. <laughs> and so sometimes you can get lost and wander and you sort of are like, how did I get in this rabbit hole? Um, and so I think, 
you know, writing those types of pieces um, helped me focus on the point that I'm trying to make and figuring out how to get the um, supporting piece of evidence to back up that point. And so... Uh, How easily... Sorry. How how easily translatable is that from a thousand words to say 80,000 words for the novel, like remembering that you are working towards a point. Yeah. I, what works for me is to break the novel down into, into smaller and smaller pieces. So I worry less, I try and worry less about 80,000 words and more about, okay, what is, what am I trying to say in this, um, 3000 word chapter or whatever. Um, and so what works for me is to break it down into smaller and smaller units. So I think if you can do that and you have a, a, a notion of where you want to go, then it gets a little bit easier. Let's talk about the debut then, Acts of Forgiveness. Just tell us about the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your mind. What was the single elevator pitch that presented itself to you? I was running on the treadmill and I was thinking about the book that I was reading at the time, which was Midnight's Children. And I don't know, I, that I just sort of thought about, well, what would a novel about reparations be like? And that was sort of the, the moment. And I remember I was just running on the treadmill and that thought came across my mind. And then I never really looked back. I went upstairs and I was like writing sort of, questions that I wanted to answer and um, what the progression of the novel might look like. I guess what comes next, I, I know that you've said you, you write questions that you want to figure out, that you want to answer, but how much do you need to have answered those before you start writing the thing? What, what are you doing? You mentioned notebooks earlier on to plan and to plot. What are you, what are you doing before you actually start typing the first sentence? Um, I don't, I mean, writers have different takes on this. I found it helpful to do less before writing my first draft. So I had that idea. I had questions that I wanted to answer. And then I just started writing. Um, but, you know, I wrote like six drafts of my book before, before I sold it. So it's probably not the most um, time efficient way to do it. But for me, it took a lot of the stress off to get a, get a, a, my first draft, I think was a hundred thousand words. So for me, I I was like, I know I can do it. Like now that I have a hundred thousand words, I know I can do it. And so then the question became, um, okay, I need to actually research genealogy, for example. Um, I need to research, um, you know, I went back through and there were a lot of holes that I wanted to fill and things I wanted to figure out. But but once I had that first draft, it took a lot of the pressure off because I knew it was possible. Um, so yeah. And then I, um, you know, I made a, I made a list of things I wanted to research and then I pretty much rewrote the whole book, but I had, you know, pieces that I had highlighted that I wanted to keep. And I had sort of a, a, um, you know, there was an overall arc that I maintained, uh, 
but a lot of the first draft I didn't end up keeping, but it was really helpful in just giving me the confidence of knowing that I could write like a, a novel length book. What was wrong with the first draft? What? Nothing was wrong with it. I still love it. <laughs> um, I think, you know, there were, um, for example, there were switching points of view, um, multiple. Um, and so that got cut down a lot. Um, you know, now in this version, you have, you know, primarily Willie and Paloma and the first draft had a lot of different characters, point of, points of view. Um, and it was a a little hard to follow and so i sort of streamlined that a little bit and was that off your own back or was that with the help of editors and agents no that was my own i didn't send it out um until i had rewritten it i think like three times so that's an interesting clarity of thought for you to be you know a hundred thousand words deep into a project and then to look outside it to reread it and think uh, hang on, like, I need to tweak quite a lot of that. I don't think many people, I mean, I know I, would be way too stubbornly in it to admit that anything needed to be changed. How easy a, a realisation was that for you? Um, it was fairly easy, and I think that's because I had written those nonfiction pieces before. And so for me, there were some um, factual pieces that I wanted to um, go a little bit deeper on and double check and uh, make sure that I had, you know, I had sort of the, the essence of, for example, somebody conducting genealogy research, like what would that actually feel like? I didn't research that prior to writing my first draft. So, and um, I also ended up traveling to Mississippi for the book. So those types of details weren't in there yet. And I knew I wanted to add them. So for me, it was a, a fairly easy decision, but yeah, it's hard because you also want the immediate gratification of having an agent be like, Oh, this is awesome. We're going to sell your book. And so I had to sort of delay that for a while. It, it just all, it, it's kind of hard for someone that doesn't write a lot like me to, to get my head around how plot and characters come from like fairly abstract questions about this thing. So your central character, this is, Willie, who you mentioned, uh, how uh, how did she come to you? At what point did you realise that in order to answer these questions about reparations, you needed a plot, so you needed a character? Like, just try and take us through that thinking. Yeah, I mean, she sort of came to me in the beginning when, you know, I think... I guess, let me back up. There are conflicting views, I think, among writers of whether you start with a topic or a point of view, or you start with a character. Um, and so for me, like the topic and theme came first. And in order to explore that theme, I knew I wanted a character that somebody might that somebody could fall in love with, that somebody would see themselves in, not all of themselves, but see parts of their journey in Willie's story. Um, and so that's how she started to come to me in the sense that 
I knew, and, and some of her is based is based on my own experiences um, loosely. And so I knew that I wanted, you know, it to be from a primarily from a woman's point of view. And I knew that there were certain highs and lows I wanted the character to go through and for the reader to experience in order to um, also grapple with this theme of reparations through a character that they could relate to. Yeah, talking about grappling with the theme of reparations. So this, like in in this novel, you are uh, discussing a, a political point. So how much did you keep both of those in, in tandem while writing it? Like it needs to be a fantastic story, but by doing that, you want the reader to think about uh, something politically, uh, how much of a wrestle was that to keep those both aligned to make sure one wasn't outdoing the other? I, I mean, I think pretty quickly the characters took over. And so it, it became much more about their story and how they were navigating this program that had been passed rather than trying to hit specific points that I wanted to make. Um, because for me, it was always, if, you know, I can get a, a reader on board with the family and if I can get a reader on board with Willie's story, then, you know, that for me was the most important part. Um, and what that family and what Willie is going through will inevitably come through, but it wasn't so much like I had you know, I, it wasn't so much that I had specific points that I wanted to make politically throughout the book. It was more of here's a theme I want to explore. And what is this family doing as they're navigating this experience? Uh, you are someone who, you know, has written a lot across different forms of writing. So you've given some thought into the craft. Uh, I've been chatting a lot recently about rules that authors set themselves like little hills that they're willing to die on. And, and I wonder what yours are. I spoke to an author earlier who hated ing words. So speaking, running, and also, and also wanted, um, wanted like the main verb of the sentence to be, uh, written as quickly as possible. Like, so I just, I, so I just wondered if, if you had any of those rules yourself. Hmm. I, well, I always get worried and always pay attention when when the word something is there or thing or end and that. Those are like my trigger words. <laughs> I see those. I typically go back over the sentence multiple times to figure out if I really need those words. What What is it about them? <laughs> and I, they're just very vague. I think that they are... Um, and obviously not always, but they tend to be sort of filler words when you can't figure out what you actually want to say. I once had a boss tell me, you never need to use the word that, <laughs> which is very extreme, but I think it's stuck in my head. And so it's one of those trigger words that when I see it, <laughs> I always go back over the sentence. And we, we've spoken about the transition between the first and the second book, which you're now writing, and then, and then going forward. I guess the last question is, what have you learned from writing Acts of Forgiveness that has Im influenced 
how your writing going on? Like, what have you learned about the way that you work best, about do's, about don'ts of novel writing? I, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this time around, I'm much more likely to pause and research in the middle of writing it as opposed to try to finish the whole draft and go back and research what I want. So that's one of the biggest things I learned, which is that it's okay to pause and take a couple weeks off from necessarily writing the actual book to, to researching what you need in order to keep writing it. Um, so that's one of the bigger things. I think I did a lot more of, um, I wrote character cards this time around that were, I wrote character cards for acts of forgiveness, but after I had written the first draft and this time I, I wrote them before I started. Um, so that's something that's, that's different this time around. How detailed are the character cards? Um, they're pretty detailed. I mean, they definitely don't include, I don't, I definitely don't use everything that's in them, but I try to write them as if I'm writing about a friend. And so, so I'm sort of looking at like, well, what foods might they eat? What jokes might they tell? What are the like things that they love, things that they hate? What did they go through as a child? Even though I know I won't use it, but I think it is helpful to sort of know the ins and outs of your characters and their particularities before writing, which um, I sort of like figured out when I wrote the initial draft of Acts of Forgiveness. And then I went back and wrote the character cards. And this time I, I wrote those first. That is it with more cheeks this week on the show. That new novel is Act of Forgiveness. It is out next week on the 13th of February, I think. So pre-order, pre-save, wherever you get your books from. Now, next week on the show, we'll bring you a brand new author. In the meantime, you can support us, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can also get involved on our Twitter X page. We are at writers pod there. And you can say hello using the contact page at writersroutine.com. We are sponsored this week by Who is the Cheese Wire Killer? Brand new true crime podcast. Search for it wherever you get your shows. And I will see you next week with a brand new episode of our podcast. Until then, bye bye. (laughs) 